Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, thank you. This is episode 60. It's been a little while. I was in South Africa for two weeks. Thank you to everybody who supported that trip. It was really incredible. I've uh, been posting lots of videos and photos over on Instagram, so you can go and check that out there if you want updates. But it was a really special time to uh, meet some locals, spend time with them, learn their stories, share my stories, and encounter God together in uh, some really dire circumstances outside of Johannesburg. I recorded an interview with Maria Gaba, who runs the Child's Home, the Children's Home, and the daycare center there where we were based. That will be up in a little bit, and you can hear her story firsthand, and it will wreck you in all kinds of ways. But that is not today. Today is very, very exciting for me. I got to sit down and chat with Sarah Bessie. Uh, I guess a month or two months ago, she had just come back from the Evolving Faith Conference, and so we talk a lot about that, unpack a bunch of different things to do with grief and finding God in pain and finding God while we're journeying, creating safe spaces for those who are journeying and haven't yet necessarily arrived somewhere. So... uh, I think you will really enjoy this. Sarah is someone who's been an inspiration to me for so long. It was a real privilege to chat with her. Uh, We're just going to dive right in. It's hard for people, I think, to understand even the nuance in the room. You know, what people's... And I think that that's even part of, you know, something we run into with a lot of our charismatic spaces, um, which is an interesting... I mean, I, I don't know. I've always kind of wished more people took a good look at like that historical view because it's interesting that movements that were founded in being progressive in a lot of ways, socially progressive, uh, have become sometimes the most staunch fundamentalists in the conversations now, right? And and seem to assume everybody in the room has the same story as them, right? And everybody yeah. in the room is, is, you know, voting the same way or has the same origin point or, you know, doesn't, doesn't even begin to think that there might be you know, a, a different way of looking at it. And, and there's just an assumption of sameness, totally. which, is, uh, which is just r- remarkable. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's like, really? <laughs> like I remember I was you know, talking to somebody, you know, recently who was kind of in the inner healing space and, and they were very upset about a new inner healing counselor who had a new modality. And I was kind of like, but you know, like 20 years ago, like that's not long. You guys were the ones being tarred and feathered. Because yes. you had something new that, that you knew was helpful. And I said, you know, what's your trouble with this other guy? And, and the, he's an older, much older gentleman. And he said to me, I've just never come across a case of wounding that cannot be healed with my tools. <laughs> and I Bless thought, it. all right, I've heard all I need to know. Fantastic. Yeah, exactly. You guys uh, do your thing and Carry I'll on. go over here. <laughs> Well, I think that's a perfect introduction. So in case you're jumping in right here and you're like, what are they talking about? Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, I am so excited to be on the phone with Sarah today for so many reasons. And I want to enumerate just some of them. Sarah, can I enumerate some of the reasons I'm excited? Absolutely. So this will be good. (laughs) So uh, first of all, go Team Canada. Come on. Go Team Canada. Yes. It's like... I have to work really hard to find Canadian guests and like get them on the show. And all the Canadians are kind of like, oh, well, you know, there's somebody else you could probably talk to. And I'm like, listen, stop being Canadian for a moment <laughs> and appreciate your own awesomeness. Uh, <laughs> so always excited to get a Canadian on the show. Second, I have been reading you for a really, really long time. And mm-hmm. I was trying to think exactly when it was. I don't remember the year, but... uh Frank Viola had published a list of women bloggers that everyone should be reading. I don't know if you know Frank Viola. Yes, I've I've read a couple of his books and he endorsed a couple of mine and but I've never actually met him in person. But yeah, yeah I remember I remember that list. Yeah, so you know, you were on that list and and that was when I came across you and started reading your blog and and social media and I was just like, "Oh, this is awesome. I love, I love your perspective. I love everything that you're sharing. And at the time, I was, you know, in in a deconstruction journey. And so, as you know, obviously Frank was speaking to a lot of those kinds of people, and uh, and 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 you were a voice in that space as well. And so, I I just I immediately connected with a lot of what you were saying. 
But then, not only that, you have for years been in the Vineyard Church and, you know, are a self-professed, you know, believer in the works of the Holy Spirit, a charismatic person, as as am I. And uh, I have just loved what that imbues your writing with and your, yeah, just your hunger and openness and expectation of God to come and surprise. Mm-hmm. Um and obviously, it's I have a bias in this direction, but I I really feel like we the world is desperate for God to come and surprise, and uh, we need the Holy Spirit. So I'm so grateful for all of those things, and then of course the the beautiful relationships that you have then forged with you know your colleagues and brothers and sisters through Evolving Faith and dear Rachel and all these other wonderful people uh, that that are helping so many of us. And so I'm just really honored and thankful to have some time here with you today. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. That means a lot to me to hear. It really does. I mean, it's uh... – it's one of those things, I think, especially when you have the Canadian, I always joke that when you are a Canadian Christian, but especially when you are of the charismatic variety, we can usually play two to six degrees of separation in two or less. Like, <laughs> we, either, we either know each other or we know somebody who knows you. <laughs> so it's There's always somebody who knows where the bodies are buried. So it's good <laughs> to, to find each other and make sure that we're on each other's team. So that's good to know. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Wow. Can I ask, uh, you know, you've just come back from Evolving Faith. Obviously, that was a precious time and and a really uniquely distinctive time. Uh, I wasn't there. Can you, how is it coming home and unpacking that experience, um, you know, taking on more that's just on, on fewer shoulders now? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, thank you for asking. Uh, you know, I'm, I think I'm probably still processing a little bit. I think in, um, in a lot of ways, I looked at evolving faith this year as something to get through. Mm. Um, since we lost, uh, Rachel back in, uh, May and the weekend of evolving faith was five months, uh, since then. And in a lot of ways, um, the last five months of grief and trauma and heartbreak, uh, you know, just kind of culminated in this thing to get, on the other side of in a lot of ways. Um, and so we took some time this summer even to really pray and seek God and, and be honest with one another. Those of us who are on the team, uh, Jim, who's, uh, was Rachel's booking agent as well as mine, uh, and is a close friend of ours and kind of runs the operations side of evolving faith. And then, uh, Jeff Chu, who was someone that Rachel and I added to our, um, planning team and our, our co-host creator team after last year, after the 2018 event. And, you know, the thing that was hard about all of that is after 2018, um, Rachel and I kind of spent most of that event looking at each other with a, you know, combination of just joy and delight and terror, like just we could not believe (laughs) that all these people showed up. (laughs) And it felt a little experimental. And we were like, Oh, we've really not, we really have something here. We didn't know that this was going to hit a nerve. We didn't know that people were so hungry for spaces that were hopeful um, in the wilderness, that they were so hungry for um, processing through their deconstruction and their disorientation with an eye on Jesus uh, and what that would look like for uh, for their lives and, and with an eye on justice and, and, um, and healing even. And so we came home from that and really sat down and kind of got to work on a number of plans. And we just built out this great, big, huge three to five year plan for evolving faith. So excited. And we had a vision and we had a mission and we had all these very important sounding things. And so um, losing Rachel uh, halfway through the year um, made a lot of that feel very bittersweet. Um, And so in a lot of ways, Leaning back into the work has been healing um, because it's meaningful and it's good. And it was something that uh, meant a lot to both of us. It was a place where we both felt a lot of energy and love and um, connection. And so I didn't know how it would be. Um, And in a lot of ways, Evolving Faith this year, her fingerprints were on all of it. We built the whole event, you know, before the spring. And so, um, 
it was harder than I could have imagined, but at the same time, it was better. It was more beautiful. It was very um, true, I feel like, to what we had hoped it would be. Uh, it felt like us. Um, and everybody who came, I mean, it was just ridiculous because, I mean, Rachel got no end of laughter out of the fact that we had booked this year's event in a hockey arena in Denver. <laughs> She literally just made fun of me relentlessly for it. She's like, trust a Canadian you know, to, plan, to plan, you know, a sacred space in a hockey arena. I was like, listen, it's not a stretch. You know, there's a lot of sacred things that can happen in hockey arenas. But being in that arena with, you know, thousands of people and knowing they all um, encountered something that we can't, uh, being able to be alongside of them. Uh, we had Rachel's family with us as well. Mm. Um, and so it was bittersweet, but at the same time, it was beautiful and it was redemptive and it felt very hopeful. I came home from it utterly exhausted, but with a very strong sense of peace and direction and uh, energy around it as well. And so I think that there's something special there for everybody, not just for us. I think the big thing we wanted to recognize is that the last thing in the world Rachel would have wanted is for evolving faith to turn into a shrine. Sure. Or to turn to just a legacy project. Mm. And so what does it look like um, to honor our heartbreak and not pretend that we're not heartbroken while at the same time leaning into um, what we actually wanted this to be, right? And, and what we were hopeful of what it could be. So I don't know that we got it 100% right, but I'm hopeful that as we continue to walk it out that um, those things will become more and more clear. Uh, I am relieved, though, to be on this side of it. I will be honest. Well, no doubt. No doubt. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for the emotion you're sharing. That's really special. I, I was really, uh, you know, obviously I'm filtering everything through what I see on Instagram and Twitter. And, and I saw a few people say, I've got to mute some of these things because I'm not there this year. And that's, that's too upsetting. <laughs> um but one of the things that struck me, you know, from folks like Caitlin Curtis was the 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 work done to create safe spaces for people. Mm -hmm. That there were spaces intentionally set aside for different groups that they could come and have safety, not the the gaze of the other or the gaze of the dominant or whatever that happens to be for your circumstance. And I just I think one of the things that I've been so impressed by by you guys, all of you together, is honestly, it's just how well you love people. You know, I mean, this is that's what that's why you are, I guess, comfortable sharing that emotion because you just you have loved these people, all of us, some of us really tenuously, just through social media and books, but but in a real fashion that really has transformed and is transforming lives. And so I'm, my hat is off to you and I didn't even attend. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot to me to hear. I think that one of the things that Rachel and I really knew going into this and Jeff shares this, um, this posture with us, which I think is one of the reasons why we were so eager to add him to the team. Um, is that we were very wary of setting ourselves up on a pedestal in front of every, anyone and saying, well, you don't know what you think about the Bible or, you know, justice or about, um, you know, whatever else it is that we're, you know, church and institutional religion or, you know, LGBTQ inclusion or whatever else it is. Um, you know, so here's a nice new tidy set of answers. Go ahead and take ours. <laughs> never, never our way of being. And so we really see the space as being a, a one of being alongside of each other, um, of one of belonging. And so having uh, places like um, that are set aside or moments that are set aside and watching our language and, you know, being trying to love one another well through every interaction imperfectly. We didn't do it perfectly by any stretch of the imagination but wanting to do better yeah. uh, wanting to embody i think what we believe uh the kingdom of god looks like uh is a big part of what all that is and i think that one of the things one of the words that really emerged for me over this weekend even though at times there was a tremendous amount of challenge i mean for sure it feels like drinking out of a fire hose you know for a lot <laughs> in terms of content and stuff like it's just packed two days um, and it's strong content. Like sometimes you can go to a conference and be like, no, I'll just kind of check out for the afternoon session or scroll my right. phone or I'll skip it. But it's like, no, you don't get to do that in mm. this space. 
But for us, I think the word that really kind of shaped a lot of that was um, sanctuary, mm. that we wanted this to be be a, a sanctuary for the people who are weary, the ones who have been wandering, um, the ones, I think in a lot of ways, we all come to spaces like this, and we all come with our own hunger and our own thirst, our own wounds. And I, we always felt very aware of that and wanted to um, see this as an oasis in a sanctuary for people who are still on a journey, who um, have departed and often don't know where they're going to end up. And maybe they're only with us for a short amount of time. What would it look like to love them well and feed them well, yes. uh, to give everybody a respite in that place? Yes, that's beautiful. One thing that I bump into, I'd be interested to know your, how this plays out for you guys at the conference and, and in your real world interactions. In kind of Christian progressive social media land where we could easily assume a lot of people live their entire life. I feel like I often run into, and, and, I, and I'm tempted to land there myself, run into this space that's kind of like, I'm broken and I'm wounded. And I've lived in a tradition that didn't allow me to acknowledge my wounds. And so now I'm grabbing hold of those wounds as identity. And you've just vocalized you know, healing and journey and transition. How does, how does that play out? Do you find people holding on to their rejection and their brokenness because it's their new place to land? Do you find, you know, people really hungry to keep journeying to, to heal I mean, I mean, just one super practical example, even from my own life is like with mental health. Like it's, it's kind of like, it's really easy to be like, I have depression. That's my identity. That's my new thing. Don't you dare tell me healing is possible. But I've gone through healing of my mental health challenges. So I want to create a safe space where people can be really honest that says, hey, I'm not going to have good days sometimes. But also, this is not the end. Mm -hmm. um, I know that's kind of a lot of words. Do you, <laughs> does that, any of that make sense to you? No, it does. I think it's that holding that tension of both now and not yet, you know, and I think for those of us who come out of the charismatic renewal movement, um, you know, mine was more rooted perhaps in the word of faith movement um, than even the charismatic renewal is kind of more like a, a you know, sister thing alongside of it. There was this sense of the kingdom of God is now. Right. And we demanded healing. We demanded miracles. We expected them. Right. It was our birthright. Um, and on the flip side, I think a lot of people who grew up maybe in more traditionally evangelical homes or in reformed circles, um, the answer to why am I sick or why am I broke or why am I hurting or why is the world broken is because God ordained it. Right, because that's what God intended. This is, and nothing comes to us that does not pass through the hand of God. And there is, I think, for a lot of people, a measure of comfort in that, even though it does paint a rather monstrous view of God. And on the flip side, those of us who did not grow up in that way or come came to faith within that understanding, then we are left saying, "Well, of course God wants your prospering, and of course God wants your health, and of course God wants your wealth, and your, you know, this, this, and that." And then you end up with you live longer than a hot second and you realize that that's not always true. Right. You only have to run that we, into some suffering. Right. Right. And a lot of times then we in that community and in that way of understanding things, um, we end up blaming each other. Hmm. We're not going to blame God because God's always good and God wants your health and God wants your healing and God wants what's best. <laughs> and is you know, God of life and life more abundant and all these other sorts of things that are, are beautiful and true. But then we're left saying, well, then you're the problem. You don't have enough faith. Yes. You weren't good enough. You didn't step up. If you were holier, maybe if you memorized more Bible verses, maybe if you lined up your confession with the Word of God, maybe if you worshipped more and harder, you know. And so, either way, you end up with a very broken view of God okay. and a very broken view even of what it means to be human, of what it means to live um, within the the kingdom of God. I believe because you know, at the end of the day. A lot of communities will focus, like you were saying, on the the not yet of the kingdom of God. I'm not yet healed. I'm not yet. Everything is not yet where it ought to be. Uh, even outside of our own personal experiences, our own personal um, you know, illnesses and things, we can look at the, the nature of the world and say it's not yet, right, where it needs right. to be and where we believe that God's dream is for all of us. But at the same time, then we can sometimes overcorrect into the now, 
And so I think that being able to hold that tension, being able to reimagine what healing looks like, um, that's actually a lot of the focus of my new book is what do you do when God both shows up and also doesn't? Mm. And what does it look like to be in that holy place that is between while still holding room for the miraculous? What does it mean to believe in healing and also expand your understanding of what healing could be? Mm-hmm. And I think in a lot of ways, that's um, that's a nuanced and hard conversation for people who are really desperate for if this, then that formulas. Sure. And those sorts of stories like yours, or like mine as someone who lives with chronic illness, or anyone who, you know, is, is walking that line between both. Um, that's a thin place that defies a lot of our easy answers and our sound bites. And, uh, and oftentimes, that's, that's where the Holy Spirit is, is breathing with us, right? There's that, um, that room that's able to hold both grief and hope in your hands. I think in a lot of times we can come from traditions that want either all the grief or all the hope, um, not understanding that both of those things together are really where where the, um, I think the spirit is at work, but even where our hearts are open then to one another. Yes. Yes. Amen. Talk to us about your, your chronic pain and, and the story you tell in your new book. Um. Well, I was in a car accident a number of years ago, and uh, the fallout from that, you know, led to um, this book, actually, uh, which is a lot more memoir-driven than my my first two books. I don't know that I will ever do that again, (laughs) but but it was was good. Um, and so the book is called Miracles and Other Reasonable Things. Which I love. And thank, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, and the idea was, what do you do when you are experiencing very ordinary suffering? You know, very ordinary things have gone wrong or very ordinary brokenness, um, whether it's loss or sickness or, you know, car accidents or, you know, whatever else it might be. Basic things of being a person, yeah. right? There's nothing too spectacular about it. It just is your life. And what does it mean to hold space for the miraculous in the traditional way that we have understood it? Um, And then what does it also mean to live into the other side of what sometimes become broken miracles? Um, And so learning to tell that story, I think it's a bit of a balancing act. Anytime I would try to, you know, lean hard into yay miracles, you know, there would be a counter story that would emerge. And, you know, then anytime I tried to say, you know, like, well, nope, this is just how it is, then God would surprise. Right. And actually, you know, the big move of God would come through in a way that, you know, sometimes was irritating. <laughs> and so learning how to I had this lean in. Paragraph that. ready to go, and now you've ruined yeah, it, Lord. Exactly. <laughs> and so living that story out over the past number of years, um, it got to the point where when it was time for me to I was wanting to work on another book, I genuinely felt like I could not continue in ministry um if I had not told this story. Yeah. That this needed to, that my whole way of understanding God and understanding the spirit, it's way more. I think that's the other thing too with this book that made me a little bit nervous about it, sending it out, is that it's way more um, clear about how my relationship with the Holy Spirit has developed and unfolded really mm-hmm. since the time I was a child, but even particularly now. So it's super woo woo. Mm-hmm. Like it is just like lean. It steer. It steers hard into it. Because you have you have played those cards close to the chest. Like I have. Like I think a lot of us do. <laughs> yeah, and and well, I get that right. Like I mean, I spent the weekend at a very charismatic inner healing seminar. You know, I personally experienced a healing from a traumatic memory that occurred when I was three months old, right? So you're already having to reach pretty far outside what a lot of people think is normal. And yes. and I, yeah, definitely don't feel like sharing a whole bunch more about that on air. <laughs> so I, yeah, I get it. Well, I get exactly, it. <laughs> right? They're, they're tender, right? These are tender things. Yeah. And, and even there, I mean, I don't talk a whole lot – um, about what I live with now, even, um, the full extent of it. A lot of those things are still, you know, fairly private. I'll talk maybe about one or two things and just kind of, you know, but that's not, it's because I think those are still tender places and those are still, um, still things we like to hold close. But I think that it, you know, at the same time, I don't know that we're doing people a lot of favors if we keep, 
it necessarily um, vague. Mm. Sometimes it's good to name the weird. Yes. <laughs> yes. Not always, you know, but sometimes it's good to open it up and say, here's, here's what it looks like um, for me anyway. Yes. Here's how I'm experiencing um, the Holy Spirit right now. Here's how it has mattered to me. I think especially as I get older and my children are getting older, and my life has, you know, in a lot of ways looks very different than I would have expected. Um, you know, what does it look like to be on the other side of that and be building something that you believe is worth making a home in and inviting people into? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I was I was pretty nervous about this one before it went out last week because I was like, it's either really, really going to land or it's really, really not. <laughs> so, I've been happy to to see this last, you know, couple of weeks as, you know, people have been reading it and have been connecting with it, uh, the, you know, that it, it seems to be connecting with a lot of people, which is great. Oh, yeah. But at the end of the day, the thing that makes me feel most um, grateful is that the people who often find their stories not reflected back to them mm. in Christian writing, um, those people who are on the losing side of life, those people who didn't get their prayers answered, or those who did, um, often feel like their stories aren't reflected back to them. Yes. And so, feeling seen yes. by those people, feeling like those of us who are part of that company of people who have unanswered prayers still, um, that's a very tender thing for me. And I and I definitely hold it with a lot of gratitude, and I'm glad it's connected with those, those folks mm-hmm. with whom, you know, I'm aligned. That's so important. I've been seeing those comments and those tweets and and the Instagram stuff and uh, yeah from, from all you know all the people I follow too being like oh my gosh you guys uh, and I'm excited to get my hands on a copy. I'll have to send one over to oh, you. I would love that. <laughs> I'll take a quick little break to thank my supporters. I know this kind of sounds rote, but honestly, uh, I quit my job over a year ago, and so those people who are supporting my work are literally feeding my family and paying for my mortgage and uh, everything that I need to live in order to be able to keep doing this work and writing. And uh, there's a lot of exciting news on writing coming very, very quickly. I'm not at liberty to release it all yet, but there are things happening. There will be books coming your way, my friends. I'd like to thank Anna and Laura for joining me on Patreon most recently. Guys, uh, I would love you to pray or just think about supporting my work. $3 a month gets you access to all the behind-the-scenes stuff, and if you're in a position to give more, it uh, goes directly to feeding my family and taking care of of my portion of the family finances so that I can keep writing, keep interviewing people. Uh, As I record this, I've got an interview coming up with Morgan Harper Nichols. Are you kidding me? Uh... Just like in an hour, so that you won't you won't hear that until January. But that's happening for me very soon. So uh, I'm so thankful for all of you who give. It boggles my mind that there's anybody supporting me. Uh, but I do need about 250 more supporters uh, to, to be honest, get my wife and I out of the woods financially. Uh, so we we are kind of scraping the barrel, but. Uh, thankful and full of faith and God provides for us every month. But if you'd like to be a part of that, uh, please go to patreon.com slash Jonathan Puddle and chip in. Any little bit helps. Thank you so much. And let's get back to the wonderful Sarah Bessie. Did you, on that, on that subject of stories that don't get told, did, did you see Manchester by the sea? I don't think I did. No, I, you know what? Listen, I don't get to, watch movies <laughs> two hours is a big investment of time <laughs> it's true i can do like shows like you know 30 minutes here 20 minutes there i snatch them you no, know I, I get being you. able to I get <laughs> but you. please go on. well don't, don't let me just you from time. well no the the, the the point is simply and and to be honest manchester by the sea is devastating devastating tragedy no. that i wouldn't okay. even necessarily say like oh yeah go and see it you must but it is a remarkable film and it won a whole bunch of Academy Awards. And, uh, but the point is the director said, you know, most of our tragedies, even in film, they, they tie up, you know, because that's what mm-hmm. we, that's what most of us are hoping for. Like, well, it's what we're all hoping for, but, but right. he said, can we make a film for the people who it hasn't tied up for, for the, mm. where the pain and the nature of the tragedy is so deep. 
that um, how, how do they recover? Now, now that's a somewhat of a of a. I think he's coming from a bleaker place than you and I w- would live in. But I remember sitting there and sobbing, and just my wife and I sitting there with like our mouths just open at the pain, and then having that awareness. Yeah, some people's stories just don't get told, do they? Mm-hmm. And so they look around, and they don't find themselves represented anywhere. You know, and so we talk a lot about that, I guess, obviously in the context of race or, or gender, you know, uh, you know, Grisel Medina, who I had on the show is saying, you know, I, I looked around and I didn't see any Latinas on stage anywhere in the church. Right. Um, but, you know, for you to open that up to pain and even to, to the everyday pain, I think is really very sensible and very sensitive. And my gut would tell me that all of the honest people in the church will say, yeah, this is me. And all of the dishonest people in the church will know it's them, but won't say it. Hmm. That's my sense. Thank you. But I haven't read it. So maybe yeah. it's garbage. Well, but... we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> Everybody else over, says it's over, wonderful. It's usually overrated. <laughs> oh, I wanted to say that um, I was really impressed by the wisdom that you should okay this is probably going to start sounding like the flatter sarah bessie episode (laughs) and that is since that's very different than what i usually hear on the internet i'm here for it all right well good (laughs) i live to serve so i'm happy to provide that that was not (laughs) my intent (laughs) but i do spend a lot of time discussing things you say with other people and usually in a really positive context. So, oh, well, that's, uh, that's refreshing. Yes, well, don't worry. I uh, I don't know how some of you people do it because I'm small fry enough that I only get like one or two haters a month. And it's super rare. And it's really actually quite special for me because I'm like, <laughs> yes, I reached someone <laughs> who disagreed I it. <laughs> with me. But I see the, the vitriol and the, the stuff you guys and girls and people have to live through. It's, it's horrible. Uh, obviously, this week we have all this MacArthur stuff with dear Beth Moore. But what I, I was going to say was when you said, I can't be your Rachel, you know, a month or two back. And I just sat back and I thought, oh, the personal wisdom for you to say that. But then also the burden that you that would have been put on you by so many people assuming that that you would fill that role, you know, or, or you can imagine any number of people being like, oh, Sarah Bessie, you haven't read her. Oh, she's the Canadian Rachel Held Evans. Or like, you know, all these shorthand ways that we come up with to describe one another and introduce one another to each other. But they have real burdens. They have, that comes at a real cost uh, to your identity. You're the Canadian Sarah Bessie, right? And mm-hmm. that's who we need you to be. And so just the other day, a friend of mine who just picked up out of sorts, actually, he, he was like, oh, yeah, I just started reading her Evolving Faith book. And, uh, and then I saw that tweet and I was like, oh, wise. And I think that was why he ordered the book because um, hmm. he saw the, 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 A, the temptation that some people might, might feel as a, that, that for them, maybe that's a shortcut. Right, but that's obviously really dehumanizing to the actual personal relationship that that you and Rachel shared. Um, so I haven't asked a question here. I realize, but I'm thankful for your willingness to vocalize what was probably a really difficult, nuanced, and painful situation. Yeah, you know, it's it it, it is one of those things. Rachel and I, our work was so deeply linked. Um, we often joked that, you know, in a lot of ways, when we were alongside of each other for the last 10 years, you know, she was kind of that evangelical Bible nerd, Mm. you know, head, you know, kind of focused person. And, um, just her voice was so strong and she was incredibly prophetic and, um, wise and just brilliant, and then we would joke that I was kind of that warmer, more maternal part of the thing, right? You're the Holy Spirit side, so obviously. That's why we were a good team. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, the loneliness of doing my work without that voice at my side is mm. is really profound. Yeah. Um, 
And so I think a lot of people were very well-meaning of course, when they were saying things like that. I mean, there were definitely some people who were very entitled and irritated when I didn't speak up on a per- particular thing that was meaningful to them and likely would have been meaningful to Rachel, um, particularly, I think, as it pertains to a lot of American um, and evangelical you know, issues that come up, yeah. um, which isn't, isn't a lane that I lead in a whole lot. Um, you know, you can speak out as a neighbor over the fence, but that's different than speaking from within. It's right? weird though for us, isn't it? Like, it is a little bit weird, right? Like it can, I think especially because the church conversations are so dominated by Americans yes. and the American evangelical experience yes. that those of us who don't feel reflected in that often get roped into it and get roped into even having very strong opinions <laughs> about things that are not actually our story. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, and so I, I understand where a lot of that was coming from. Um, in the lead up to Evolving Faith, especially, there was a, a lot of people who were um, – you know, we see Rachel's spirit in you. We want you to, you know, we need you to lead like Rachel. You really need to step in and, and, and step into her shoes. And what are we going to do without Rachel's voice? And I know that the thing that people really mean when they say stuff like that is that they miss her. Of course. Yeah. And we all do, yeah. right? And so I think, though, at the end of the day, um, you know, I, I, I couldn't even begin to step into her shoes or into her um, gifting, her anointing even, going back to some of my Pentecostal roots, um, because it was hers. And the loss is profound. And in a lot of ways, we want to rush past the loss. We want to replace it yes. quickly. It's the equivalent of, you know, something bad happens so, you know, to your dog, so you go out and buy another dog yes. right away rather than just letting, letting yourself be sad. And so, I mean, bad, you know, analogy. But there's this sense of wanting to replace quickly and wanting to not feel the gap and not feel the loss of it. Yes. Um, but Rachel's irreplaceable. Yes. And, you know, I'm, I'm me. I think I know what God has given the work that God has given me to do. Um, I can only be faithful to that. I hope I'm always audacious with it. But at the end of the day, um, I have to be able to lead and to stand in my own anointing and my own calling, um, knowing that that was was always enough and hopefully will continue to be, uh, while also letting myself grieve just the tremendous loss. Um, of Rachel. And, you know, I understand what people meant, but I felt it was important for me to draw the boundary in a way, um, especially heading into evolving faith. There were going to be things that were going to be different simply because she's absent. And we can try to, you know, patchwork together something that maybe makes people think that that's not true. But at the end of the day, it's she's absent. And that absence is going to be felt, and I can't try to cram myself into that absence in an effort to make that go away. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know if I did that perfectly, but I felt like it needed to be said, and I'm grateful that it was received as well as it was. And um, and hopefully, I can you know not put that pressure on myself too. Well, and we and we would be robbed of you if you were to be anybody else, right? I mean. That story, it's one of my favorite stories. It's really weird. In, in the Old Testament with Jotham, uh, one of Gideon's sons, and he gets up on this mountain and they're trying to make someone, you know, one of the, one of the brothers king. And he says, should, should the fig tree stop producing figs just to wave over the people and thus rob the people of the enjoyment of figs? Should the, should, and he goes through all these different plants and eventually what the people, you know, with the analogy is like, and then the thorn bush was willing to be the ruler. But like we, we would be rubbed if, if you weren't being Sarah Bessie and then we would have twice the loss, um, which is not okay. Thank you. But it was also just, uh, I felt so privileged, uh, that I know this was the fam was Rachel's family's decision to, to stream the funeral, but, mm-hmm. but it was my birthday party. And so a bunch of us sat around outside and had the video up on the laptop. And we sat there and we cried. And then we partied. Mm. Yeah. And it felt really special yeah. and really sacred. And you know, to see you there and, and all these other people who are often, you know, to people like me, just voices at the other end of a computer or, or words on the other mm-hmm. end of the thing or um, – it, it felt like, again, in your wider community, you had opened up a safe space for people to come and sit with painful, difficult things. Uh, 
you know, which is in obviously this, the, the message that you've written just now, how to sit there. Mm -hmm. Um, it's so valuable, so necessary. How do we had this friend years ago who, who lost her, her husband, I think in an, in an accident and then, um, raised her boys on her own. And, and then one of them was in a terrible car accident and, you know, and we're in this big, happy, happy, joy, joy, progress, uh, sorry, charismatic church and, and, uh, with word of faith elements, um, much healthier than people would like to portray. Let me say that in the mm-hmm. defense of my church. Oh, but, absolutely. But nonetheless, I used to, I used to often ask, how does this woman come in on a Sunday morning and where does she identify? Where are the Psalms, the, the songs of pain, of lament? You know, does she have to go to a Catholic church to, to find any solidarity with pain? Surely we can make room in our expression for, for that too. Mm-hmm. Well, that was actually the origin point even for a lot of my own deconstruction. Um, and what I, you know, kind of always refer to as my, my launch almost into the wilderness in my faith. Um, I think in a lot of ways you can look at things. Uh, very dispassionately and talk about them like they're issues, mm. right? Where it's fun to sit with, you know, a pint at the pub and your buddies and say, you oh, know, what do you think about atonement theory? You know, <laughs> why you, really, why you have as, to call me out like that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if anybody's feeling personally attacked, but I would have then. <laughs> so, you know, and in a lot of ways, it can feel very heady, yes. right? Yes. It can feel very exciting. It's new ideas. Sometimes it's disruptive, but it's not a price to be paid yet. Yes. Um, and the thing that I found that ended up happening with us it was, and I mean and this was a number of years ago for me now you know 20, 15, 20 years ago there was a season where we just ex- incurred loss after loss after loss and um, I remember showing up at church and just being unable to sing the songs mm. because my life has not had not been a, a tremendous amount of victory at that point um, there at the end of the day, I stopped going to church because I felt like there wasn't room for my grief yeah. wow. there. And I think that in a lot of ways, um, that's what ends up happening with a lot of people who find themselves in a season of life, you know, that we are trying to shepherd well through evolving faith, um, you know, or, you know, in a number of different, uh, you know, spaces that are trying to, to do that, I think a little bit better, but you can stand at that threshold to the wilderness for a really long time and let it be theoretical. Mm. But the thing that will always cause you to step over that threshold, I believe, is grief. Mm. It's your proximity to grief. And then you find yourself in that space that is very disorienting. And all the answers that used to make sense don't make sense anymore. And all the promises that you've been made suddenly feel a little bit empty. And all the ways that you have understood God or understood yourself even um, have disappeared. And so that state of profound disorientation, I think, is some a place that we oftentimes then feel separated from our churches or from our communities, our faith communities, um, our origin stories. And that's even a necessary part of it, right? Sometimes you have to circle around for a while before you can return to look at those traditions with fresh eyes. Yeah. I never in a million years expected myself to return back to, um, you know, happy, clappy, charismatic churches let alone church at all, mm. right? There was a number of years there where I was like, nope, I'm just over institutional Christianity. I'm yes. not going to do it, right? And so being surprised by that, um, you know, was because I had different eyes when I came back to look at the same things. Mm. Um, and so in a lot of ways, I mean, I think that there are ways that we can do that in a better, more healthy way that holds room for the both and, the hope and the grief within our communities that honors the people for whom that story maybe that we are telling from the stage isn't always true. That's very wise. Do you think um, getting new eyes, how much of that do you think is is us choosing or, or being intentional or crafting out a plan for reconstruction versus God just coming in and doing his work? You know, I have found that you know, that is a that is a very layered question. <laughs> I know. If you could answer it in five minutes, that would be fantastic. Yeah, exactly. I've got two minutes here. Um, how quickly will I be branded a heretic on either side? All right. Um, <laughs> my audience, my audience is very kind for the most that, part. Zero so it's generosity. totally up to you. If you share this, then you may open yourself up to more. <laughs> 
I think the thing that I have found is that the most transformation and movement in my life has happened at the intersection of those two things. Mm. It has happened at that intersection of my choices, um, my agency, even, um, and the Holy Spirit, that I could not make myself heal. Mm. I could not make myself um you know, more whole, I could not make myself less angry, or less doubtful, or less cynical, or skeptical, I needed to pass through those things, I needed to lean into the pain of disorientation, um, and deconstruction. But it was in the leaning into it, that that intersection with the Holy Spirit emerges, to be able to say, this is where transformation happens. Otherwise, all I'm doing is exchanging one set of ideas for another set of ideas. And that's not transformative, right? It's like, oh, maybe I have better opinions, but am I, I'm not more loving. I'm not more made into the image of Christ for the sake of the world. And so, I think that that's the – but then on the flip side, a lot of times we will look at it and say, well, it's all the Holy Spirit's activity. And so, I'll just lay here and just let things happen to me and let things unfold as they may and just let myself, you know, kind of – you know, lie here like a pudding. And but listen, I have had pudding seasons of life you know, where I needed to lay down and just simply rest. And I think that there's there's a, a moment for those those types of things for sure. But I have found that the Holy Spirit's invitation is usually to lean in. Um, it's one of engagement. And oftentimes, I think people find themselves in those spaces in the wilderness or in that season of, de- you know, deconstruction, if you want to call it that. Um, they think that it's because they have been faithless. Or because they have fallen away from God, or if maybe they had read their Bibles more, or they had gone to worship services more, they had done whatever else it is, that they wouldn't have wound up in this place. But the truth is that most of us end up there because we are faithful. It's because we are leaning in. And we end up in those, you know, at altars out in the wilderness simply because we have followed actually the invitation of the Holy Spirit, that you are being invited in a lot of ways out of the boat and onto the water, which is terrifying. Right, But at the same time, that's the birthplace of your intimacy with God. All of a sudden, you are not hiding behind your right answers and your, you know, Bible studies and your, you know, list of things that you have as a star chart in the sky that you're checking, te- checking things off for you to be, a, you know, most beloved child of God. And so, the intersection of those two things is usually where I have found the most healing, the most transformation, and also uh, further invitation. Um, from the spirit than I would have ever expected. I don't know if that fully answers your question. That's beautiful. Oh, that resonates so deep inside, for sure. Friends, you need to go and order Sarah's book, uh, Miracles and Other Reasonable Things, Sarah Bessie. You'll find it linked in the show notes, of course. SarahBessie.com. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Anything yeah. else that, yeah, that you it. would want to share before I ask you to pray? No, I mean, that's uh, that's usually a good hub for people. If they want to know where I'm speaking or they want to know more about Evolving Faith or, you know, my even my other two books or anything else, that's a good jumping off point. Even, you know, to find me on Twitter. God help you. But. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, oh, people can jump on your, your, your email there. Um, yes. Yeah, your special, yeah, my, your epic rants. Yeah. <laughs> It's not always around. <laughs> Sometimes it's very devotional. <laughs> yes, it is. And you're going to be at Water to Wine as well next year again. Yeah, um, yeah I am. I'm looking forward to that. I enjoy that community uh, quite a bit. Brian and Perry have been a good and faithful friend to to us. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's always a wonderful place. It's very life-giving uh, to be in a room. Again, there's not a whole lot of spaces right. that are deeply charismatic and and um and yet leaning into those conversations of the wilderness and of water to wine yeah so i love i love time there last year i'm hoping to attend so that will be fun oh good we'll get a chance to meet you in person then sarah would you uh would you pray for us uh i think especially those of us sitting at that intersection and carrying the pain and asking the deep questions yeah sure sure i'd love to Oh, Jesus, creator and spirit, we are here in this place where we have ended up somehow. And we are audacious enough to believe that you are here too, that there is no place that we could run from your spirit. There is no place we could hide from your love, whatever basement we have found ourselves in or wilderness. 
we unclench our hands and our jaw and we lift up our face and say, we are here with you. Would you disrupt us? Would you lead us further out into the places where you long for us to go? Would you heal the parts of our hearts that are broken? Our minds and our bodies, all the places where we have been wounded and we are still carrying scars, would you kiss those and anoint them as blessed, as holy, as precious to you? We know that you don't only hang out with the winners. We are so grateful. We turn our eyes and our face towards your story of wholeness and life and healing and goodness. We want to be a people who can hold both hope and grief in our hands. As we lean into these things, as we try to find the courage to lean in again, would you meet us with your grace and with your goodness, with your mercy and your loving kindness? You are so faithful. And we love you. We trust you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. How good is that, eh? Come on. You see why I love this woman? So go uh, check the show notes, order a copy of her latest book, Miracles and Other Reasonable Things. Go check out Out of Sorts, Making Peace with an Evolving Faith, uh, or Jesus Feminist. Uh, Go and and follow her her writing on Twitter and everywhere else, uh, Instagram. She's just a wonderful lady, mom, bunch of kids, and just living life. So thankful for Sarah. Uh, And thankful for all of you for listening and sharing. Have a wonderful week. God bless you. You can find out more about me at jonathanpuddle.com, at jonathanpuddle on all the social platforms. And I look forward to sharing another guest with you next week.